Normally, this is the part of the podcast when you'd hear someone say, I'm so-and-so, and you're listening to the Scene World podcast. But today, I have to come on with this because there's a little bit of late-breaking news that we didn't actually get to in the main part of it. And that is that Digital Retro Park and For Amusement Only have invited Chris Hulesbeck to a roundtable discussion at the Flipper and Arcade Museum in Seligenstadt. And I don't know if I said that right, but you're just going to have to take it as it is. But they've invited him to, to the Flipper and Arcade Museum on October 29th, 2017 at 15 o'clock, which I guess is like 3 p.m. Uh, and this roundtable will be moderated by our very own Jurg. Um, so if you're in Seligenstadt on October 29th, you might want to drop by and check it out. The talk and special C64 exhibit is free. Uh, and there's a $10 cover to play the games and pinball machines. So check that out. And you can find information on that. Uh, we'll link to it in the description below. So if you want to check that out and, and, and learn more about it, there you go. Onwards. Welcome to the podcast. I'm AJ. Jörg is there. And that means this is Scene World. Yes! A world... Of the scene, a world of the scene, and and a world of, I guess, that we're gonna need to be. We we've been mostly a C sixty four disc mag. I guess we're gonna need to start expanding into the Amiga realm now because we have an Amiga outfit for the magazine. Yes, we actually um, showed a preview, a beta on Gamescom. And right now we are working on finalizing it and releasing it alongside the um, the CC4 issues. Right, and and the yep. good part is that it's a it's a it's a wrapper for the same information, so it's not we don't have to do more work. Nope, not at all. Which is beautiful, but that means that we need to we do need to do more work because we need to get our butts together in covering the Amiga scene. That will be yours and Martin stuff. We have yeah. not been doing well. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I, I've got an Amiga, but I don't think that I'm really part of the Amiga scene. Well, and Martin is. Martin is so. yes. Uh, I have not even made. I made something. I made some graphics for the Amiga years and years ago, but not on an Amiga. It was an issue of I drew something on a different computer. And then gave it to someone who did something with it on the Amiga. So, so yeah. I did graphics in only the most, the most untenable, you know, vague way that you could possibly do graphics. <laughs> so other news, other news is that um... the big news, I guess, maybe we can start with, which is sure, which is the. What previously was the 64 is now the, the C64, which is what we kind of kept calling it by accident anyway. But, um, yeah, so th that's, uh, big news all of a sudden. Yes, it's, it's for me a bit surprising because C64, which is an Indiegogo project by Darren Mailburn, who actually is the, um, well, one of the develop, uh, one of the inventors of um, the DTV. Yes. So um, it's old news, but well, just by renaming the product 
and joining the mini hype like the NES Classic Mini, the SNES Classic Mini, now to have a C64 Mini, the press picked it up and and talked about it like, wow, we never heard of this before. Well, I think this that is surprising it's, me. <laughs> I think that it's a little bit more than um, just that the press picked it up. A couple of things happened. And we talked to Darren in podcast 22, which was in May of 2016. Um, and at the time, the, the most of the time that this has been going on, it's been a, it was, you know, an Indiegogo campaign. Um, they had, they were working on prototypes. They were getting someplace. Um, currently, they now have, a, a couple of things have happened in, in that. Number one, they are now officially licensed by the, I guess it's Cloanto that holds the copyright. So, so now they, that's why they can call themselves the C64 instead of just the 64 because they actually have the, it's, it's now an officially licensed Commodore 64 thing. And the other thing is that they have teamed up or partnered up with, um, I can't think of what the name of the company is, but they are, they are the people behind the distribution of the SNES Mini and the NES Mini. So, so the C64 Mini will be, from everything I'm seeing, is going to be in stores, Walmart and Target and whatnot by Christmas. Don't hit on the table. Oh, sorry. Because you're doing that all the time and the recording will be boof, boof, boof. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so, uh, yeah, so yeah. from, from everything I'm, I'm reading, you know, th- this will be, uh, in stores, Walmart and Target and, and stuff like that by Christmas and not going to be simply a thing where, you know, you can order it online or get it through the Indiegogo or something, but it's going to be in stores and widely distributed. So, it automatically increases the amount of of audience that it can it can grab, which is exactly what happened with uh, QVC and the DTV. Suddenly, there was a lot more audience, and people from abroad USA called in to 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 order the thing, which 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 was a big thing in two thousand four. Yeah. And I mean, nowadays, nowadays you can call to abroad or order from abroad without thinking about it, you know, thanks to PayPal and Skype and all those online services. But back in the day, it really meant you had to seriously, seriously invest to get stuff from abroad, you know. Now, the the. One of the interesting things too is that I guess they canceled the um, handheld. That's not they're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, that is what they, I mentioned in the last yeah. news in the, in the news section before. Yeah, and that's really a, a sad thing because in the interview with Devin Mailborn, he said he was surprised that actually people in the Negogo liked the handheld more. So then is then that means it's for me a bit surprising that if the Indiegogo campaign people liked it more that 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 they was would use that to cancel it. But I understand because if you go to Walmart and Toys R Us and so on, audience will more inclined to buy one that looks like an right. original Z sixty four with a keyboard right. than a game console like right. and there with will the original be, keyboard. And yeah. there will be the full size version, which is still smaller than the original sixty four, but it'll be a full size one with a working keyboard. Uh, that's coming out uh, next year, 
And if you buy, if you went for one of them on the on the uh, the fundraising, you will be getting that and the mini. Like they're they're throwing in all kinds of all kinds of bonuses and whatnot for this. It's 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 pretty spectacular what they're able to do with it. And while they did cancel the handheld, I can't imagine the technology now exists, right? They've got the they've got the cores for these things programmed. They they they've got it working. Um, if these are successful, I can't see why a handheld isn't in the future. Now the question for me is also. Um What's the big difference between the Mini and the Z64 original size? I don't think that the version. Mini... I, I don't think the keyboard works on the Mini. I think it's just it's decorative. It looks like a C64, but it's not functional. Mm. Let's, it's sim- let's similar, to, it similar to the NES Mini or the SNES Mini where, where it looked like the original one, but you couldn't open the cartridge door and stick a cartridge in it. You know, it, it wasn't functional in that respect. This looks like a C64, but the keys are, even if they did work, they, you know, they're way too small to type effectively on. Hmm. But it does have USB ports for controllers, so you can probably plug a USB keyboard into it. I, I don't, I'm not really sure how that would go, but I know how that would function. Yes. Two USB plug ports. Plug in a USB core keyboard to use as a fun and functional home computer so you're right the keyboard is just for decoration but they designed it so one of the usb ports can be used for a keyboard that means even you can even use text adventure games and so on this means the limits to to uh, of, of the games you can play in are zero which was the problem well if we remember from the c64 there are there are some limits in that um i don't believe that the mini version you're you're limited to what there's no i don't believe it has a cartridge port no it doesn't or or any way to hook up discs or anything else so you're you are limited in some respects and what you can do I, I'm not sure if you can plug in an SD card or anything like that to it. Um, no, you're right. If you look at it, it says, "Well, no, no, no port for expansion." Right. So right. you would you would get the C64 not mini. Right. Uh, if you want that, the yeah, it's called plus. Yeah. So the Z64 Plus will have all the other things. Well, it, I still don't think it's going to have, you know, like the serial connectors or anything like that. It'll have a cartridge port, but no no user port, no cassette port, no no serial or anything. It's it's, you know, and I think that the controllers are still USB. It is a trade-off. And in Germany and globally, it will be distributed by Koch Media. Yes, yes. Which is that which was the is, company that I was thinking that I couldn't think of the name of that that. And is also doing the PR for physical Sega releases yes. and distribution of Sega releases. It is. It is. It's. It's. So I mean, the, these these partner programs that they've come up with has have really they they have the potential to really expand this uh, significantly. And turn this into something really, really successful, which, which is good. You know, I, it, it opens up the. I, I would like to see how um, how hackable it is, sort of. You know, 
Because if, I, you know, I don't like the idea of just having a machine where you turn it on and here's the games you can play. And that's what you got, you know. Mm. But if this is the sort of thing where you can you can put different stuff on it and you can, you know, do some programming on it or, or play different games or use different software, then, then that's pretty cool. We'll see. There are no details about the uh, Z64 Plus yet no, on the homepage. Not yet. Not yet. So we'll, we will see that out. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Sega, uh, we're going to be talking to Sega in a little bit. We, we should have mentioned that before, and we yeah. didn't because we were too jazzed. Well, we were so jazzed with this uh, Z64 news that we... Well, uh, I'm quite jazzed because it feels <laughs> to me like the media never got the idea of actually talking to the guys. I yeah, and I know, I know. It's it's. I think that it it sort of fell into that into the into the waste bin alongside like the 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 Vegas Spectrum, you know, the, the all that stuff that just you know fell apart and have have been absolute debacles, and everyone sort of figured that this might be along the same lines, even though we kind of had an idea that it wasn't, that the people behind it were really doing what they were planning to do. So it's it's a really... There's a lot of this happening now, because you also have the uh, the C64 Ultimate from from um, uh, Gideon Schweitzer. Yep. yep. The, the yep. guy that makes the 1541 Ultimate. That's yeah. supposed to be coming out. He's got. I saw prototypes of that. He's got the boards uh, yeah. printed for for testing. Uh, you've got. You've got the C sixty four Reloaded, which is another licensed thing. He's got the rights to use the Commodore logo. That's out, and he's working on uh, Jens Schoenfeld from Individual is working on the FPGA version of that. So that's there. There's a lot of C sixty four. And of course, the stuff. real hardware uh, motherboard version. Yes. That is like um, like an an old version, um, but with better with better video output. Yeah. And also um, with full compatibility, and this time jumperless. Yeah. And your video is frozen again, by the way. Yes, yes, it is. Good that we don't do a video interview today. Yeah. Um, yes. So anyway, we were lucky and spoke to the guys. And Darren Mayburn, Darren Mayburn isn't a person that is unknown. So we figured he made this D60, uh, sorry, the DTV very successful. And we figured why, why um, this wouldn't be the case anyway. Speaking of the yes. DTV real quick. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, well, not the DTV, but but Jerry Ellsworth was one of the people that designed the DTV. Uh, she also designed the Commodore One or the C One. Yeah. And uh, individual computers had that, I guess. And they just—it's uh, been announced that the the assets are for sale. For yeah, that. we totally forgot to mention that. We 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 posted that um, on ZC4 TV, our um, news channel. That's where I read course, it. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, I'm subscribed to the mailing list of the C1, and somebody asked, like, so when is the new Camellium update coming? And he replied, it isn't. Yeah. yeah. And then he, he announced it, it, all the assets are officially for sale. 
Wow. That that's I remember the C one when it first started to come out, and this is you know, what fifteen years ago, when they really started talking about that, and I just nothing. I never saw it materialize to the point where it was some like a viable product, and the it's picture a shame output because, was crappy. <laughs> well, I have one. I have one. Oh, it's unusable. Do. Okay, it's unusable. Yeah. See, it it's was really it was cool because it had the ability to potentially emulate other machines as well. It it did. Yeah, yeah. you could get an Amiga core and a Chameleon yeah. core, and uh-huh. a Big Twenty core. But still, it wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah. And that's... There's another machine that is similar to that. Um, there was also an Amiga one. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, it was developed about around the same time, not by Cherry Elf. The Mist, the Mist computer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that, also an FPGA re- yes. um, solution. Yeah. And I have, I have heard amazing things about that. It's got very good... Um, very good it's not emulation because it's fpga so very good simulation i guess i don't i don't know what the i don't i don't know what the the semantics are for how you would say that for what an fpga well most does. people you just ask is it fpga or is it emulation yeah, right that is how people differ yeah <laughs> but it's got an amazing it's got a really good amiga core although the the aga is still in beta but the ocs ecs amiga is very good um, the Atari is apparently one of the, the best implemented because that was the guy that designed it was an Atari guy. Um, the C64, I mean, there's they've got the, the Plus 4. They've got a bunch of different Commodore 8-bits in there. So that's... And, and that's a, a product that is viable and being sold. So that's, that's nifty. Other news that happens in um, August... I am 8-bit actually partnered up with um, with Capcom and did a 30 years anniversary release for pre-order of Street Fighter 2 for $100. And um, it sounds like it's old news. And why would we mention it if it's like in in August and you can't get it anymore because it was sold out? At the same night it was announced, and now you can only get overpriced um, units on eBay, mm-hmm. even though I was lucky to get well, one that is not goes. so overpriced. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just remember, I, 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 it will be sent to you, so you can just say, yeah. oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Jörg, uh, who is yeah. he? Uh, uh, I never never got into Street Fighter. I was never never that big of a fan of the game. I was. I was. Um, Anyway, the interesting thing is why we mentioned this here is that around the same time there was an article on the internet saying that flashcards readers actually destroy your systems. You probably heard of that too. I did not hear that. No? Okay. Then then I should link to that um, in the podcast description. In what way way do flashcard readers... Yeah, because nowadays the new flashcard technology uses different voltage than the cartridge ports of classic consoles use, you could actually destroy your console slowly over time by over voltage. Okay. You know? 
and cheap cheap um fake or you would say uh, reproductions of those um, flashcard readers like uh, flashcard systems like EverDrive, which is the original, um, but there are also Chinese trade-offs um, that don't have a regulation for the voltage. Hmm. That means you can slowly kill your system over it because the electronics inside will wear off, will wear out. And um, so Capcom and um, IM8-bit actually decided to avoid problems with that, to write on the homepage that it can set your SNES on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buy our product, by the way. My, my, your, your, your machine may burst into flames. Yeah. So... Um, so then, then of course, the retro community of SNES games asks, so why would you release it for 100 bucks, you know, as a decoration item limited to 5,000 <laughs> units, and now you pay $100 and you go the risk to actually put it into fire. So they were asked, and the reply was that, in contrast to what people assumed, you know, people always like rumors, they actually put they actually put a mechanism in place to down regulate um, the voltage so it can't oh. burst into fire and it won't destroy your console. But in case this mechanism dies someday, you know, yeah. it can put your thing on fire that means if this if this uh, circuit of regulating the voltage is broken this is not covered by warranty mm. and if as a result of that it destroys your super um nas that's your bad luck <laughs> you yeah, just imagine brother... playing street fighter and you, and you do a hadouken and suddenly everything just bursts into flames yeah <laughs> Um, so, so the problem here is generally that you just can't get old technology nowadays anymore. And, and we spoke about that problem with, um, Stefano, um, Arnold from mm -hmm. Tech Toy, you know, yes. who actually said the big problem is in re-releasing the Mega Drive in limited edition 2017, that Yamaha is not doing the sound chips anymore. Right, right. And that's the same problem. You can't get the old electronics anymore. Yeah, it and would cost. It would yeah. cost so much money to re-engineer the old assembly methods that they used to do it. That it, it, it's, it's, it's. We have lost the technology required to do it. Basically. Yeah, and that's also the re that's also what the problem is with flashcards with flash. Yeah memory nowadays yeah. the flash memory used by nintendo the technology is not used anymore and nowadays it's different and this can cause an over voltage and can damage your console so um but of course you cannot guarantee that the voltage um, circuit to regulate down the voltage will work all the time hmm. because it can wear off itself and yeah. die 
But I guess that is that is the case with many electronics. I mean, I have heard of VCRs going to fire or TVs catching yeah, fire yeah. because something broke inside. That's mm-hmm. always a problem. And some people lost their homes, unfortunately, because of an electronic device that caught fire. That's why I always have everything plugged into surge protectors, and I turn those protectors off if I'm going to leave the house for any length of time. Unplug everything okay. because because even when things are off and they're plugged in still, they're still drawing power, you know, and all it needs is one thing to go and, and you know, take a dump and the whole place goes up in flames. Well, I also have such surge protection and I hope it protects me well. So far, I never caught anything on fire. Uh, so, as you know, here at Sinwell, we always fire, we, we always fight against stereotypes and rumors. We spoke about so much rumors in our podcasts, you know. Mm-hmm. So, to fight all the rumors, this is why there is a warning that says it can catch, um, it can cause your super NAS to catch fire. This is why. So, it means you can play it. It will not destroy your um, console. But of course, the 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 electronics in that the cartridge can go wrong. It won't destroy your is... console, but it might destroy your console. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, weird. You know, anyway, anyway, I don't ever play, play anything again. Just, just look at it. Put it on a shelf. Look at it longingly. Think about playing it. Play it in your mind. Anyway, when I when I got it. I will definitely play it, and I will not worry about my Super NES costing okay. fire. Other news, Super NES news. Yes, the SNES Classic Mini was released and actually went to my doorstep Ooh. in um, on Friday. Yes. And um, I was lucky I got one. My order wasn't canceled this time. I didn't have to appear on television to get mine. <laughs> <laughs> so um yes what can i say it's the same machine as the ns classic mini which isn't a surprise they just reused the thing put it in a different case made the controller cords longer that's mm-hmm. good um so i didn't have to buy an extension cord this this that's, time that's that is good yeah um and some people were disappointed that the um SFX games, you know, this that use the FX ship, like um, like um, Star Fox and Star Fox Two play as slow as on the SNES. Yeah. But I understand the thing is, you want to have the SNES Classic Mini to remember and to show it to your kids how you used to play the game. If you use modern hardware to actually improve the speed and the frame rate of a game, wouldn't be the same game anymore because, mm. you know, it's a different experience. So I don't think that Nintendo was at fault here. I think it's pretty good, pretty decent. The emulation is a lot better than the NES Classic Mini. But of course, of course, I prefer my Super uh, NES original anytime. Anyway, this is the first time that Star Fox 2 was officially released by Nintendo. Mm. Because it was finished, but it was uh, canned because they went for the Star Fox on the Nintendo 64. 
Um, but now it's officially released. So that's that's nice. Yeah, to get to it, you actually have to finish m mission first on Cornelia from Star Fox. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, here we go. Here's here's another one. Uh, timely. October fifth is the beginning of the Project Hubbard Kickstarter. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I'm not really too certain what this entails. But perhaps we will talk to one of the organizers in the future. Perhaps, maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> we'll have to find out, and then we'll, we'll be sure to report back to you on what is happening. So, you got anything yes. else? Yes, oh, yesterday night, Zem's Journey pre-order actually um, started. This means... If you had a reservation for Sam's Journey, you can go to the pre-order now, and you will be one of the first that will get hmm. the release. I've... Because um, you you did the reservation. Cool. I got to check that out because uh, it'll run an NTSC systems with an REU, and I have an REU and an NTSC system. So uh, I just ordered Planet Golf. Uh, the deluxe version, so I'll be getting wow. that soon. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of games coming out, like real legit in box games happening now for the 64. So I'm kind of kind of enthused about that. So I ordered Planet Golf a couple of days ago. That should be getting here in the next week. Wow. I don't know if anybody else on the team has one. If not, then I'll do an unboxing. Why the hell not? Well, you have to talk to Andrew, otherwise he will do it. Did he get one? Andrew t tells me he orders every, every okay. game that's coming out. Okay. Well, I'll coordinate with him. Maybe maybe he can do it. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe both of you. Yeah. We'll, yeah, ca we'll, caress, each we'll caress each other's hands as we open the box. <laughs> right. That, that must be it. Mm. Yes. So. so you, yep. got, you got anything else? Well, that's plenty of stuff. Okay, I, I got. I don't have anything else either. So, so who are we talking to today? Fabian Mario Dola, ah. PR of Sega, Europe and America. Nice. Hey, yeah, that is correct. Welcome yeah. to the podcast. Nice. Thanks for the to you. invite. Pleasure. <laughs> so today we are mainly talking about Sonic Mania that came out recently. All right. And um, but first, let's talk a bit about your history. From what I know about you, you are famous for making, for example, the translations of Zelda for the Game Boy in German. What? No, that is made up. I unfortunately never did that. Um, I don't know no. where that info uh, came from. Um, but at least you said, um, or you didn't say, um, you're famous for uh, leaking the design of the first Xbox because that's what usually comes into mind and kind of haunts me in a good way uh, because that's something I did once, which is not as glorious as um, doing um, translations for Nintendo. From what I saw from other interviews, people always say, you are sometimes really revealing more about Sega games that you maybe should at the time of doing it. 
well, uh, maybe back in the days. Um, I mean, I've not uh, rewatched all the interviews. Um, I don't know if there was any particular example, but um, yeah, there. I mean, there were some things here and there. Um, I did work for uh, Sega Germany from, let me think, 2005 till 2012, and then um, they shut down the German offices. And in between, I was um, working as a PR at Sega of America in San Francisco for one and a half years. Um, I hope I've not leaked too many things. Nothing specific uh, comes into mind, but there were some stories here and there. I remember that um, when Sonic Generations um, was about to launch, um, I did um, a little um, video with the guys from Giga, And because of a miscommunication, they just uploaded the whole file without cutting and, uh, like removing certain stuff. And, uh, we did reveal a few things that, um, we're not supposed to reveal at that time. Yeah. That was a fun week, I can tell you. And I saw a video upload of that thing and people were commenting on the video, like, is he fired yet? Yeah. Uh, well, funnily enough, um, that is one of those things. Um, sometimes if games are in development and they're not completely polished and done, then developers, um, for various reasons, are kind of cautious not to show certain stuff, not to spoil stuff, or because they know that those things will improve in the next weeks. And um, But but I think most of the comments, um, they were super positive, and people just said, hey, we'd like to see more, and... Um, And then it felt kind of bad to ask them to take down the video um, because the, the feedback in general was great. But yeah, it did not really stick to the guidelines we had in place back in the days. I was asking around in the video industry in, among my friends and they said, despite you are working at CD Projekt, you are still doing Sega PR part-times nowadays. Uh, yeah, that is that is correct. Um, I'm mainly doing stuff um, for the for the Witcher guys for City Project, um, but um, because none of those guys have um, offices in Germany as of now, um, Sega or City Project, uh, I'm I'm freelancing. So um, I do help Sega with stuff that is not available as a physical um, product. The physical products are distributed. Um, by Koch Media in Germany, and they're also doing the um, the PR, the marketing for it. But everything that's digitally only um, I'm helping with. I still know a lot of the people from Sega from back in the days, and this also includes the the mobile stuff like um, Sega Forever, for example. Sega Mania is actually kind of a mixed beast because there is a collector's edition. That yeah. I have. So it is physical, even yeah. though you count it as not physical, because it's mainly a Steam code that comes in the package. Yeah, I honestly, I to a certain degree, because uh, when Sega, Sonic Mania, now I also said uh, Sega Mania, but when Sonic Mania was announced um, and the feedback was really good, I remember the reveal trailer and everyone was excited and hyped. Amazing, then, yeah, yeah I, I had some some worries that they might decide to go for, uh, just from my point of view, to a physical, classic physical release that comes on a disc, because in that case, um, it would have moved over to Core Media. But um, I've always been a huge um, Sonic fan, and um, so I was happy that, um, even if some people might disagree with that, but I was happy that it stayed as a digital title in terms of the actual disc, or, or yeah. 
so that I could um, help doing a few things for that um, because it it definitely is, and I'm not saying that as a as a uh, Sega person so much, but it's definitely a dream coming true to a certain degree, and and I'm happy that I played a little little uh, part in that. You you are referred to as Mr. Sega because you've worked for Sega so much time, so everybody refers you to as Mr. Sega. How did it actually start that you started out in the video game industry in the first place? Uh, that is a well, it's not actually that long of a story, but um, I was a gamer, obviously, so there has to be a basic interest for um, for games. And then there were uh, various um, magazines uh, out in the uh, out there, all these these magazines reviewing video games. And um, so what I did. Um, my sister, uh, was living in the same city where one of those magazines was produced and that was way before the internet became super popular. So I just said, um, Hey, can you look up in the phone book actually and see if those editors and review guys, if they are in the, in your local phone book. And, um, she found some of them. And, um, so I called them and most of them just said, what the fucking fuck, or just hung up on me. But there was this one guy, um, who actually I had a good conversation with and we talked about, um, I think it was Model Combat 2 and a few other things. And he invited me over um, when I was back um, in Würzburg, which was the city where my uh, sister did her studies. And um, they were doing a, a magazine called Megafun magazine. And um, they had a new section for the reader of the months. So the reader of the months would spend a day at the editorial publishing house, review a few games with a bit of a different style instead of like the classic 100 percent german review score thing they did a one out of five stars so i went there for a day reviewed a few games and um, gave him a little score and the reason they picked me was um they had i think one or two pages um planned for the upcoming magazine but the magazine before did not really have a call to action saying hey apply for reader of the month and i just said oh we don't have anyone because nobody knows about it fabian okay. you want to do it Okay. You want to do it? Uh, so I did it. And um, not too much later, those guys, a bunch of those guys working for Megafun magazine, they started their own uh, little publishing house doing another video game magazine and asked me whether I wanted to join. And I had um, finished school and I thought, well, that is getting paid for reviewing games, meeting developers, getting games for free, those very basic thoughts. And um, so I did that. And um, it worked out until today. Hopefully, it will work out a bit longer. And um, yeah, so um, I did that, worked in games as a re classic review gaming editor for quite a while, and then had my first job on the so-called other or sometimes referred to dark side and uh, moved over into PR and had my first PR job at Codemasters Germany in Munich. And then um, a bunch of those Codemasters people um, left and um, when Sega reopened offices in Germany. So in 2005, I finally, finally, finally worked um, for the company um, I always loved as a kid or teen. Yeah, it, I know as a kid, I always thought Sega is a bit more expensive than Nintendo, but Sonic is a bit more cooler than Mario because he's running around and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, um, if you if you if you're completely honest about Sonic, um, gameplay obviously has been um, quite limited compared to um, Super Mario World, like way more limited. Basically, one button and a lot of st stuff just happens, and you just watch. 
but um, it was that right attitude and the right style at the right time. And um, I considered it cooler. I mean, I realized that Mario World had more to offer gameplay-wise, but it just wasn't cool back in the days. And it was faster because of blast processing. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, I wonder who made that up, actually. Uh, probably there's a story in the internet. I mean, it was Sega of America, from my understanding, yes. but I don't remember Marketing. who was the actual person who, who came up with that. <laughs> right. Um, you are also known for being the fun guy in the video industry, not taking things too serious. I remember watching um, an interview where you were meeting somebody and asking, so who are you waiting for? And he said, PR from Sega. And you, you, you ran away and said, let me get him for you. <laughs> not realizing yeah, there, that there you were are some... actually the guy. Yeah, there were definitely some some moments. I don't remember that particular moment, but it, it does sound like a classic Fabian moment. But um, the, I mean, in the end, it's games, right? It's about it's about fun, and luckily enough, except for some little uh, troubles I ran into, um, I always worked for people or had um, a boss running my department who was kind of cool with it and let me go ahead with it um, because actually, when I see interviews about games, about a real fun game and not a that serious game, and then everyone just totally sticks to the script and tells you these five sentences that the PR director somewhere around the world has approved, then it just kind of makes me sad because, um, I mean, we're hopefully we're all doing that for the fun, right? So I always try to to have certain parts of that um, when I'm when I'm doing interviews or, or if I appear in a, in a stream or a YouTube video or something. Cool. Well, I I prefer more the conversation style, so I also don't stick to a script. But I try to make my homework correct and first do some research about the person I'm talking to. Yeah, we had this um, when uh, working on on the Mario and Sonic series. Obviously, um, there were some um, tougher guidelines compared because um, you have Nintendo involved, you have Sega involved. It was a really huge. Um, project plus you've got the um the guys from i think it's ism the 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 license holders um for the olympics involved so we definitely had to be more careful with that but um that was still a fun project because it was at the time at least when i think when nintendo became more and more relaxed about things and um so that was still while we had a lot of guidelines to keep in mind um still a very fun project to work on you are talking about Mario and Sonic, the Winter Olympic Games, and uh, the, the, and the first one, yeah. And um, at the London 2012 Olympic Games, that was the second one. No, it was actually the third one. It started with the Beijing one, and then there was the Vancouver one, and then there was the London one. The first one was the one in uh, Beijing. That was the announcement um, when when Sega and Nintendo said that they would work together. So yeah, I worked on those three. And then I left Sega, and I th think then Nintendo took over and worked on the ones um, after. So the last one I worked on was London 2012. 12. I remember when I saw the commercials about the first one back in the day, I was like, wow, Mario and Sonic in the first game, that has, has been unheard of. Because Sega and Nintendo always have been rivals and animals, uh, um, enemies in, in my in my backhand. Uh, totally. Um, and it was, um, 
super exciting um, when this whole thing was uh, mentioned internally for the first time. There wasn't a single leak beforehand, um, wow. and there were so many companies involved, which was cool. And then actually finally announcing it and having um, that partnership being public um, felt felt really cool. I mean, if you if you followed the the whole uh, market and industry closely, then you would probably have seen that um, a lot of the Sonic games and the Sega games that released on Nintendo platforms at that time were um, really successful. So it was a it was a really good match actually. Who had the idea? Sega, Nintendo, somebody else? Um, I think the story is somewhere out there. I um, think the original initiative came from a, a person from um, Sega of Japan. And at that time, um, Sega already had the Olympic license. And um, I, I, have to, I, I would have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure, pretty confident it was someone from Sega. And then he approached someone he knew quite well at Nintendo. And then uh, things went from there. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, so let's talk a bit about Sonic Mania. Who got the idea and how it led to making a classic Sonic where the whole world actually um, didn't really think that this was ever happen? I mean, this was even a bit before the NES Classic Mini that Nintendo started. And, and, when, yeah, um, and when Sonic Mania was up for pre-order, I thought, okay, this is like Sega's revenge, and they also want to do something classic now. I'm, I'm, I mean, that idea of doing that um, was was around for a long time. You you could see when Christian Whitehead started doing these um, iOS ports, and um, which were really good. I think really good quality. It kind of um, makes sense to at some point uh, take the next step. As we all know, a lot of the times the things that make sense uh, don't happen. But if you look at the history and all the other Sonic games that released and the 3D games and Sonic 4 Episode 1, 2, then um, it was it was just someone who just had to, I mean, basically stick all the little parts together. And then when you watch the crowd reactions to the action of Sonic Mania announcement... Um, then um, you kind of figure out that this was the most obvious um, way, and it felt so good to see the um, to see the reviews and the reactions and um, um, speak to people who played it, um, either within the industry or just regular gamers. And um, I personally uh, feel happy for the for the whole brand and obviously for the company because. Um, while there were good Sonic games in between, sometimes I think he gets blamed or like people are a bit too harsh when it comes to uh, to Sonic games. But um, this is, um, yeah, this is like when the when that infamous Sonic cycle kind of died um, because I think this is actually the game that everyone was waiting for. I don't know if everyone knew that this was the one, but if you played it and if you have a certain age, um, it triggers so many great... Yeah, it, it, I felt like that 12-year-old um, uh, hooking up his Mega Drive Genesis for the first time, and it just pulls the right triggers. And I, I, I mean, I read most of the reviews, and of course there are people saying, well, the controls, and it has certain flaws, and whatnot. I totally get that. I totally get if someone says, this is not a 9 out of 10, it's an 8 out of 10, because the gameplay is kind of limited. But it's all about the feel and the, the emotions. And Sonic gameplay, the 2D gameplay, always has been limited. We talked about this earlier. You need one button. 
Yeah. But the balancing and the stages and especially the music, I think um, the music uh, didn't get enough attention. How amazing they managed to recreate that 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 feel and that sound um, from the original Sonic games. I just it was happiness and also relief and um, playing that. It's probably what you would have dreamt of back in the days, like. Describe the perfect Sonic game. Like, I want more animations. I want more stages. I want more colors. I want smoother gameplay. I think we didn't really talk about frames back in the days too much. Of course, there were these 60 hertz, 50 hertz discussions, but, um, it's just, um, everything about the game feels all right. There, um, I haven't. I know this sounds a bit too much like a commercial now, but I <laughs> um, I haven't uh, played a game that made me feel like, or that, that made me happier, or feel or make me feel home. Kinda. It um, it was just um, yeah, a lot of lot of happiness, emotions. The last classic Sonic game I remember playing was a, um, Sonic CD. I think in the '97 for the Windows PC. Okay. I think yeah, it was that, 97, maybe 96. I don't remember the exact. I, I only had the the original one on the on the Mega CD, um, wow. which I personally liked a lot. But I know there's um, there's like uh, people who are who are not the the biggest fans of of Sonic CD because it was that hybrid that that kind of like released in between and had some features of the of the next Sonic game while it also had some of the flaws of the first Sonic game. But still, yeah, looking at it, scenes that were like 3D. Yeah. yeah, it 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 had these special stages. But but I'm a huge fan of yeah, of, of Sonic Sonic City and um I did play all the um obviously all the, the Genesis ones. I well I did play the, the other ones too. Um I did like Generations. I think that was a that was a very good um compromise, but as you say, it's a compromise, right? It wanted to do some two D stuff and three D stuff, and I think it did it really well. But um, what Sonic Mania did is just not doing any compromises at all. It's just it's a 2D Sonic pixel platformer, and um, that's where it shines. What's coming next, Mega Man? Oh, I actually don't know what's coming next. <laughs> I'm um, I just um, I, I gotta admit that I didn't play um, Sonic Mania on the Switch when it launched. I played it on PS4. But I just um, started playing it again on the on the Switch because I think it's probably the best platform for it without doubt playing the other platforms. Um, it just feels really nice. And I recently took my Switch with me and uh, was hanging out with some friends. And then you can just play a little round of Sonic. And they did remember it. Um, one, pe one person didn't even remember the name, but he like, ah, the, the blue, whatever. So yeah, Sonic. And then you, and um, it takes you, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds and you figure out how it works. And, um, that is probably one of the greatest achievements when it comes to the 2D Sonic games. I think also the release date was very well picked because if I look at my Facebook and my timeline and all my friends, everybody before spoke about Ron Gilbert's and Gary Winnick's Stumbleweed Park. And yep. when this, and this went a bit downhill and nobody talked about it anymore because everybody was playing it. Then suddenly, oh, the next thing is Sonic, classic Sonic. Wow. So this was exactly right, timed. 
funnily enough, um, that wasn't the initial plan. It got pushed back once, but sometimes these um, delays, and I remember that from working on The Witcher 3, which got pushed push back two, probably three times, um, it sometimes magically um, works out, or it even helps kind of expand the time where you can communicate and market the game and show it to people and show it to more people. And yeah, I agree with you that um, it launched at the right time. Um, but um, I think that was that date was kind of a fun coincidence because um, the team uh, wanted more time to polish the game. Um, so they, they pushed it back. And um, I totally think that those extra weeks um, did show through um, and make the in terms of the quality and made the game really shine. We also interviewed earlier um, Tech Toy, and interestingly, in in August they released the limited edition 2017 for the Mega Drive. So mm -hmm. this is all very timed well. So now in Brazil at least you have a hype of the Mega Drive again, and now yep. you're releasing Sonic. This is, of course, I think this is total coincidence, but it's really fitting well. You know all this timeline of classic consoles being reborn and um, old games being rediscovered. Uh, so, I just okay. wish this would um, just go on and go on, and, but that's just uh, my personal wish and not something I would know about. But um, if I could make that choice, I totally wouldn't mind to um, buy Sonic Mania 2, Sonic Mania 3, Sonic Mania and Knuckles, And um, I wouldn't even mind. I wouldn't feel ripped off or something. Um, I um, I just hope um, there will be more of that. And um, I've seen the game uh, doing really well. I've seen it on the on the PlayStation Network charts, and um, same with Xbox. And um, I've seen so many people at Gamescom playing it on their um, on their Switch when there was these fan get-togethers or meetings or people waiting in line at the Nintendo booth at Gamescom. And um, so um, I'm pretty sure the game the game did well without having access to the to the actual numbers, but I'm 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 sure it did. Um, saw so many great reviews, and I just hope um, at some point there'll be there'll be more. That would be that would be amazing. Interestingly, you mentioned Sonic for the iPhone, and I have I have this too. When it was first released, I had to get it, you know, for few yep. bucks. I had to buy it in the App Store, and. And after a few years, there was no update. But a few weeks back, there was an update saying, and they tried to break it, but we unbroke it. And now it works again. And, and recently, there was just a release for the um, iOS 11, which requires you to have a 64-bit application, because 32-bits are not um, supported anymore, so the app wouldn't run. So there's suddenly some real investment in doing updates for um, for the Sonic game. That's pretty promising. Because if I look at my iPhone, uh, Sega and Electronic Arts are updating their games for uh, iOS 11. But uh -huh. uh, Nam Namco Bandai, for example, not at all. Well, it my really depends on... unfortunately, yeah. is broken. It, yeah, it, it depends, obviously, on your resources and um, if game's still performing well, whether you have developed that iOS um, port in-house or whether it has been developed externally. If it has been developed externally, uh, probably that contract is no longer really valid or does not 
um, or back in the days has not included 10 updates or whatever. So at some point, you unfortunately just have to pull the plug. But um, with all the effort um, Sega and Christian Whitehead put into making those iOS ports great, it kind of makes sense to um, to support them and um, also have them on the latest iOS in that case. I haven't personally um, played it yet on 11, but I'm just happy it, it runs well. And I got a, I actually got it on my um, on my Apple TV. And if you have a controller hooked up, um, it just it just works really well. So. Um... From your personal perspective, from what I gathered, Sonic Mania is the game you always wanted since Sega CD, and it's uh, even better yeah. than you ever wished it to be. Totally. I, um, of course, there's always doubts because there had been some letdowns um, back in the days, for sure. But, um, I mean, that it, it took me two, three, four, five minutes um, to figure out that um, there's no way to mess this up and um, all the people working on it were so passionate about it and really wanted it to be that good and there's so many little easter eggs and stuff in there but yeah this is um, I, I can't imagine a better two, uh, 2D Sonic game at all. I was in Tokyo last week and um, in Tokyo there are a lot of um, what was it again? Yeah, Konami and Sega arcades and mm -hmm. in one arcade running by Sega, there was actually a couple of, I think, PCs running it, so running Sonic Mania, and young Japanese people, like 20, 21, were actually playing Sonic Mania and were totally uh, hooked up to this concept, even though they probably never saw it before, because they weren't even born 26 years ago. Yep. Yeah, that, that hopefully works. I mean, retro, the whole retro stuff, um, if you look at games that are, like you said, Simbleweed Park, or you look at the look of Super Meat Boy, and a lot of those, um, yeah, those, those 2D retro pixel-style games, um, this definitely helped also bringing those games back. And even if you're younger, you hopefully appreciate that style. I mean, that, that happens with so many things. Adidas bringing back sneakers from the 80s, from the 90s, and people just love it. And um, I think um, you kind of associate it with a happy time, and um, you either live there and remember it as your childhood, and hopefully, and usually, childhood is something fun, so that's a good memory coming back. Or if you did not live that in your time, it kind of gives you an idea of how it must have felt back in the days, which is also cool. So um, I understand why those retro things work really well. And um, it's great to see that the NES Classic Mini and now the Super Nintendo Classic Mini, they're doing so well. I actually remember that last year for Christmas, I had some friends over and um, like my uncle and people of, of all different ages were there, all different age. And um, they all remembered uh, Ice Climber, that, uh, that game. And, um, they, but had very different memories to it. And it was just fun watching them playing it. And, um, I think again, Mania does trigger a lot of these, um, a lot of these things, uh, and emotions very successfully. Funny that you mentioned Ice Climber, because if you look at YouTube, um, from the youngsters doing reviews about something they didn't play as kids, they said, like, Ice Climber is one of the, 
more boring games, you know. It totally is. It totally is. Honestly, I I, I think it has sluggish controls and everything. But um, we uh, launched it up. People remember it because it was a. It was. I think it was bundled or even built in with the Nintendo Entertainment System. So a lot of people had the Nintendo Entertainment System, had Ice Climber, and there was one person in our group just saying, "Oh." There's this annoying bird again. It's that bird that flies up to the top of the stage, I think, in every stage. And I didn't remember that, but they were totally triggered, like, oh, man, that bird, I remember the bird. And the game itself, I don't know. I, I didn't really enjoy it too much, but for sure it wasn't the game I played most out of um, out of these NES Classic Mini things. But, um, yeah, if it triggers these, these emotions, then um, it probably did the job for you. Well, I had the version with these three games bundles, so Super Mario Bros. Um, Who isn't it? World Nintendo Cup? International World Cup, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And one more, right? But Tetris. I know. Tetris. Oh, Tetris. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, and those I know games, World so. Cup was flickering like hell because they used a multiplexer that that displayed more sprite than the NES can handle. As a kid, I didn't didn't really bother, I didn't really mind, but as an adult, now that I know how it works, I think, wow, this could really have been done better. Um, but I think the Sonic thing um, was so interesting for me because of the speed, mainly, you know? Um, yep. You, you couldn't do so much, but it was fast. It Plus, was, wow. it was the, the score, the soundtrack, um, probably back in the days we didn't really, I mean, we noticed that it has a good soundtrack, but, um, at least I can only obviously say, um, that I didn't really realize what a masterpiece that music was. Um, and it all, it clicks. It really makes the game click. Um, if you would not have that soundtrack of the first or second or third Sonic game, whatever, or Sonic Mania now, it would just not be the same. I think a lot of the times when it comes to a jump run, for example, then um, the score does not get the credit it really deserves um, because it's what really makes a, a a good game a great game. And that worked so well for Sonic or Sonic 2, for example. Well, I mean, nowadays are different times. Nowadays there's even a genre for video game music called VGM, video game music. Back in the day, like 20, 30 years ago, nobody would ask you, so what kind of music are you looking, uh, listening to? And you would say, I'm listening to VGM. Yeah, it was, it was also when you, when you see, um, interviews or, or, uh, you, you talk to people who worked on that back in the days with those very, 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 very limited resources. Um, then it's just, um, they probably had to put in so much more effort and they had to, to, um, take like a very different path and very different approaches in order to make things work. And that sometimes resulted in those very specific results and why video games sound like video games. I mean, they only had a certain amount of channels and a certain amount of RAM, but, um, they really managed, if you remember Streets of Rage and those kind of games, um, that had an outstanding soundtrack that blew you away because it wasn't a matter of budget. It really, really was a matter of talent uh, because you, you had to have someone who's able to actually use those um, chips properly. And if you look at the Mega Drive that didn't really have dedicated sound hardware, it basically used the um, Z80 
uh, chip that was mainly in there uh, to make it backwards compatible to the master system, um, then it's amazing to see those masterminds who managed to get such great stuff out of this limited hardware. And that's, yeah, that's where the, where the skills really come into place. I mean, these days, if you have enough budget, you, um, you just hire an orchestra, they play something and, um, there you go. It's just high quality. But, um, well, if you only have a few kilobytes, um, to use, then, um, obviously a different challenge. It's just, it sometimes really, um, drives me nuts, nuts to imagine that the first Sonic game is half a megabyte big. If you like half a megabyte, um, if you see that, if you take a picture with your iPhone these days, it's like three and a half megabytes, uh, which is seven the times the size of the first Sonic game. So what happened there? Crazy. Interestingly, Sega um, concentrated more on retro long before many other companies. For example, when you released Outrun to uh, Coast to Coast in 2006, there were even um, the possibility to play the classical outrun music from 85, you know? So yeah. I really like that. that. You had the the modern version of the soundtrack, but also the original one from outrun from uh, 85 or turbo outrun from 88. That was really very, very good for me. So I, I could play the new game with old soundtrack. And it's interesting because a lot of designers like Ron Gilbert, they said, I don't want the new game, despite its retro, to sound like the old games because my ears would bleed. But well, Sega why? is more like, why not? If you want to listen to the old style, you can. You have an option. Yeah. I mean, I get I get both, uh, both points. And obviously Maniac does not really um, have the limited sampling size, the Mega Drive had. But um, I think you should try just uh, to to match that style, and uh, yeah, it, it it works really it works really well with those games. It was also um, definitely one of the disadvantages um, the Mega Drive Genesis had over the Super Nintendo, with the Super Nintendo having such an advanced um, and superior uh, hardware for the sound, um, which really showed in in comparison. That's true, where you had digital jumps in Terrican, for example. Yeah, yeah, totally. Or rock and roll racing, where you would have the announcer actually talking while the music was playing. Yeah, general, the yeah. The Mega Drive, it would switch off the music every time the announcer was saying something. Or, um, like in general, um, voices on the, on the Mega Drive just didn't have a great um, quality, they just couldn't compare to the to the Super Nintendo. Yeah. But nowadays, that's not an issue anymore because of coding tricks. Yeah, well, nowadays. Yeah, you know, nowadays you can make awesome games even on the Commodore 64 because you know more tricks how to get more of the out of yeah. the hardware. So, what's your plan for the future personally? You said you are really happy that you had your little part in Sega, uh, uh, sorry, in Sonic Mania. Uh-huh. What's your personal plan for the future? Well, um, I obviously, um, what I, what I do and what's like filling up my days is, uh, all the work, um, with and for, um, CD Projekt. I'm working on, um, Gwent. Um, there are other games in the, in the pipeline. Um, uh, we're about to open up an, an office in Germany, which is, which is a great project. Sonic? 
Are you uh, into Sega? No, no, uh, CD Projekt. Ah, talking CD about Project. CD Projekt. Okay. And uh, there's also Sega stuff um, coming up I'm looking forward to. Um, there's new stuff coming um, for Sega Forever, was what just started. And there's some of my personal favorites and some new features coming. So I'm actually excited about that. And um, obviously, um, if you look at the recent history of the digital Sega games, with the re-release or like with the PC release of Valkyria Chronicles and then Bayonetta coming to PC, and uh, there's more stuff coming, um, which is cool and I'm looking forward to. So um, yeah, it's um, it's interesting times, and I'm really happy and grateful um, to be able to work on all these projects. Um, so I'm hopefully not getting bored and. Um, and there was this music tape running around. Oh, that one, yeah. We, um, um, that was a that was a marketing thing or PR thing that was done for the announcement or as a teaser for um, Sega Forever, where someone had the idea to put some classic Sega tunes um, on a on a classic audio tape. And um, I happy I'm happy that I was allowed to grab one copy for myself because um, obviously for my time at Sega I got a lot of collectibles and um, I was just um, happy that, that there was a spare one for me and um, everyone who, who was lucky enough to get one, they're, they're quite limited, I think 500 worldwide which is not a lot um, they, um, yeah they're, I'm, uh, it has a little special place on my uh, desk of collectibles and dust gathering collectibles but I mean, dust kind of fits to the retro thing, so um, I'm not saying that in a, in a bad way. Interestingly, that's exactly what we did as kids. I, I played the video games and computer games just for the music sometimes. Yeah. You know, and I would record the title screen music or the in-game music um, on tape. Actually. I, did, I did the very same. I did a mixtape um, with um, Mega Drive music. Um, I remember there was a lot of Thunder Force and Thunderstrike because those had like really really good soundtrack. Then Streets of Rage and uh, obviously Sonic. Um, unfortunately, all of that stuff at some point when I moved out of my parents' house, um, I think it just got thrown away. It would have been a nice memory to see whether I picked good or bad stuff. I hope it was good, but um, yeah, I did. I did the very. I did the very same. And I um, I was recently actually on on Saturday. I was traveling back from uh, Poland, um, from Warsaw, where CD Projekt has its offices. And on the flight back, I put on a playlist on my on my iPhone, and it randomly included some of the outrun um, tunes I got in my library, and that you like the magical sound shower and these kind of things. And um, it, oh, yeah, it, I, yeah, I I still enjoy um, I, listening to those, and I was really really happy back in the Sega days at Gamescom, or it was Games Convention, actually, in Leipzig, when um, Takenobu, uh, Takenobu Mitsuyoshi came over, and uh, we did autograph sessions, and we're hanging out with him, and um, I'm actually happy that I can like um, can call him a friend, and we're sometimes talking on Facebook, and uh, met him a few times, and um, it's a great person. And then at the airport, I picked him up at the airport, and he just said, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for a friend, there's a friend coming. Um, and it was Yutsu Kushiro. So um, those two guys sitting in your car, which is a Sega company car, and you drive them around and you're like, what the fuck is happening? I mean, this might sound really weird for someone who's not in games, but for me or for people who knew me from back in the days 
hanging out with Yuji Naka or those people or actually going to Sega Japan, that was definitely a dream coming true. I mean, the, the, this term, a dream coming true, uh, true is definitely overused. But um, it I'm was for me. Yeah, for me, it for me it was. Um, so um, all the memories I have from the Sega days at Sega of America, going to these archives that were supposed to be there, and they were actually there, and they had great archives, and they had a dude who took care of all of that. That was um, that was insane. That was really good, and they had like prototypes lying around there and marketing stuff, and um, it yeah, it it was. Um, Something I would have never dreamed of. Um, well, if I say I have never dreamed of, does this, a dream still come true? I think it does. But um, yeah, that was uh, definitely a part of my life I would not want to miss. And that's connected with, with amazing memories, especially those one and a half years at Sega of America, where you're obviously closer to what happens at a company compared to a little territory office in Germany, because um, then you're a bit further away from the actual actions and decision-making. But um, um, I learned a lot and, and made great friends, and um, that was that was super cool. Isn't the decision-making mostly done in Japan, Sega of Japan? Uh, yeah, it is, but um, they're obviously working close with um, Sega of America, and you had people from Sega of Japan constantly over at Sega of America. And, um, I mean, we also traveled to Japan a bunch of times, and we were in those meetings, and... Um, It was um, yeah, it was just great to get involved or or hear about stuff um, earlier than 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 other people do because if you're a Sega fan, then obviously working for Sega and getting those news internally way earlier is just um, that's just a really nice privilege. I can totally relate to that. Um, last week I was in Tokyo and I spent the whole week with Yeshita Akura, former. Um, engineer lead as Commodore Japan. I'm a Commodore guy, and so this was like a dream coming true. And also his friend um, Yukobi, and um, and he is the inventor of S-Video back in the day. So. Oh, okay. So I can totally relate to hanging out with famous people, you know, in, in the same car or in the same uh, yep. underground <laughs> train. I can totally relate to that. So, yeah, um, it's a it's lovely a feeling, and yeah, it is. It is. Um, we did at one point we did a press trip, and we actually um, went over to the um, AM2 offices, and um, and you're like, wow, okay, this is where because I think AM2 was one of the studios that just had a massive uh, hit count, and and no, wait, hit count's probably not the word, right? But that just released a lot of amazing 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 games and um, some of the biggest sega brands and um, just being there and um, they just worked i think on afterburner climax at that time and the new virtual fighter and virtual tennis 3 um, that was yeah intense most definitely yeah yeah i mean tell tell that to my parents and they're like what is he talking about now but um if you got a idea what What, what the history of video games looks like, then uh, Yu Suzuki definitely is one of the the people that comes into mind when it comes to creating some of the most successful, biggest, and, and most well-known brands in, in the whole industry. I, I was lucky to be the last guy to interview Ralph Baer, actually. Oh, okay. 
Well, the um, guy. Both, both lucky and sad, but yeah. I'm glad it worked out, obviously. Um, I met him at, um, I think, where he got his Lifetime Achievement Award um, once, but uh, wow. never talked to him. I just like, I, I saw him on stage and he was around, but um, um, I've never been lucky that lucky to, to speak to him. Yeah, I did the final and la longest interview with him. And, uh, well, we that should make you that should make you think, um, because maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean that's uh, definitely <laughs> that's a terrible <laughs> joke between you and my yeah. friends that yeah. I kill people after yeah. I interview um, them. Yeah, yeah, that's my last interview. Damn, I had no idea when I said that's my last interview. That's really my last interview. But yeah, those those things obviously happen. But um, yeah, it didn't happen. It has not happened to me yet. Um, but if for some reason I'm not feeling well after that interview, then you should probably start rethinking your interview strategy. <laughs> no, it's just that most people I interview are pretty old. For example, um, the the inventor of speech synthesis, you know, Ghostbusters speech and the CZ4 Atari or talking elevators. Forrest Moser, he's 88. So, yeah. Obviously, people are getting older, so. Well, so am I. Yeah, so yeah. am I. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you mentioned you mentioned um, that you do this all for fun in the video game industry, but there are still some, you know, um, competition going on. For example, um, obviously, Pro Evolution Soccer and FIFA Soccer is like a big um, competition there. Well, uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean, um, competition can still be fun, right? Yeah. Think of sports and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, it, I think it's a good thing because it, it actually um, pushes you to evolve, let's say, your game, your product, your game series. So, um, I mean, obviously, back in the days, Mario, Sonic, when it was still a competition, but um, we had that as Sega with Virtual Tennis and what was the, the one from from 2k they had a really good tennis game to topspin was it topspin i think it was topspin top and then you had tekken and virtual fighter and you had this and that and uh but um right um, I, i enjoyed that a lot and um yeah i think it was it was also bayonetta and at the same time thq had darksiders and there were always um things like that going on and um yeah it, 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 it's a good thing. So the, one of my final questions is you as a PR from Sega, do you think that this Sonic Mania is more than for fun or does Sega really believe in the power of the retro gaming market? Um, I, I mean, I don't think that um, a company these days um, does such a project over, that has such a long development cycle for fun. Um, that's just too risky, too expensive. Most of these companies are publicly traded companies. So, um, of course, you want it to be commercially successful and hopefully reestablish, let's say, not the Sonic brand, because that is established, but um, the, the fan base, the dedicated fan base for 2D retro platformers. Um, and um, you've got all these internal decision processes before and obviously calculations and estimates are made. So um, unfortunately, when it comes to such a project, that does not really happen for fun. If it turns out fun, great. 
I mean, of course, there there are indie projects, like smaller projects with a way smaller headcount and a way smaller budget um, that probably started as a fun idea and then really took off. I mean, um, as a weird example, as a really weird example, take Flappy Bird, right? That was made for fun. That Vietnamese guy who got a millionaire. Yeah, yeah um, that was obviously made for fun or maybe because he was bored. I, I don't know the whole story. But there are other indie games that were made for fun and then became commercially successful. But um, yeah, without knowing the exact background of Sonic Mania, there was market research. There's a brand team behind it. And um, I mean, no company really sits and says, hey, let's just do this for fun. And if it works out, we make some bucks. Cool. But if it doesn't, well, we still had fun. Uh, it'd be great if it would be that time, uh, that case sometimes, but honestly, um, that is not the usual way. One example, for example, would be Forest Games, who are one of the most prophetic and known uh, indie development studios now, since since Jana Sisters, when they re-released it as as a new revived game, it was more successful than they ever believed it would be. Yeah, I mean these things happen. But the bigger the company gets, um, the bigger the chance that there are people in controlling uh, who are doing the, the calculations and the math before. And then, um, yeah, things get a bit more professional approach. Not saying that those other companies are not professional, but if you have, um, let's say, one or two people working on a game for a year and they're doing this like an indie game as a side project, if it does not work out and if it does not perform um commercially then hopefully the only thing they have wasted is some time but they probably learned some out of it but it's not um it's not putting anything in danger or something so um yeah the smaller the team is obviously let's say the bigger the risk you can you can take um or if it's just a one-man project obviously but um well the the bigger and more expensive it gets right the the less the fun factor obviously is um is part of that well, um, Jenna Sisters had the advantage they were able to get Chris Hilsbeck to make the music again. Yeah. That was a good argument for Most people definitely. to buy it, you know? Yeah, and plus you've got to keep in mind that these days, and that's what probably why digital downloads and that whole retro indie approach um, became such a big thing. Um, game production in general got so risky and expensive and then all of a sudden you had Steam and PlayStation Network and the eShop and Xbox Live Arcade. And it, break, it, it brought back so much more creativity and made it so much easier um, to publish your game or develop and publish your game without taking that massive financial risk. I mean, let's, let's really compare um, a release that happens um, on Steam. And then imagine you would want to release a Game Boy game where you actually have to buy cartridges from Nintendo, um, where you have to, um, you need a lot of money and there's a lot of risk if your game doesn't perform. You're, you're ruined. You're totally ruined. And taking away all of that, that really helped um, growing that whole indie scene by having digital distribution. Well, I mean, actually, this happened just a few months ago with Unholy Night, the Super NES game after 18 years. Oh, yeah, since the I last remember. game from former SNK beaten up coders. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, that happened. And in November, there will be Street Fighter 2 
for the Super NES, it is a limited edition from Capcom. Well, it is. Um, it obviously is a different situation because they can work with pre-orders and they don't have, or like there's almost no competition. Um, but if you would be in a very competitive environment, let's say you wanted to release a physical Xbox game, obviously you could still release it as a download only. But if you had to release a physical game on a disc, then, um, well, good luck with that if you're not, if you don't have the big bucks, um, for that. So the next project should be Sonic Mania 2 for the Game Gear. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, pr it probably has to include a Game Gear. Um, I would, I would totally buy it because the speakers of my Game Gear don't work anymore. I heard there's a simple fix for that, yeah. but I was too lazy to, to do that. Seven pounds on eBay for uh, well, one day. I did this. Um, I did this screen mod for my Sega Nomad, and then of course I never really used it. But I wanted to have that that better that better screen, and it looks great. But um, of course I only used it for thirty minutes after. But I wanted it so badly. Um, I don't even know where I put it. But um, well, collectibles, right? So what's your opinion about the Street Fighter Two by Capcom? It's funny because they even write a warning on it that the uh, mechanics inside that regulate the voltage, if they break, they can actually put your Super Nintendo on fire. Oh, I, I, I only saw that it was coming recently. I didn't follow with that too closely. Um, and then I checked whether this is actually a, a physical cartridge. Um, it's a cool idea. I mean, obviously, um, way cheaper to produce these days. Um, even if it's small numbers, I mean, technology certainly has evolved, right? Um, but um, I don't know too many details on the technology used and how they do that to really comment on that. Besides, not besides realizing that this is a this is a really unique, cool thing. So one thing that we always wanted to know about you: Do what? you play retro games? I mean, do you, um, apart from your Game Gear, as you mentioned, and Nomad, do you actually sit down and play Sonic on a real? Not Megatron? yeah, definitely not as much as I wanted to. Um, it's that classic, uh, how do you connect your old stuff to your telly? But, um, I still have, um, I'm still playing the original Mario Kart sometimes on the Super Famicom. Yeah. Got a Super Famicom Junior here just for that case. Um, I do sometimes, and by sometimes I mean probably three, four times a year play on my PC Engine GT. Um, I like, um, those, like the uh, Devil's Crush. Um, and um, I always enjoyed the final match tennis games, even the Bomberman games, which you can easily play with a link cable uh, on two Turbo Express or PC Engine GT. Not that I would have done that specifically <laughs> for the last thing, but um, I remember that it works so easily just with two headphone checks. Um, but yeah, I do. And then, um, I mean, the the um, Super Nintendo Classic Minis around the corner. I have never played... Um, Star Fox, uh, Star Wing 2. I never downloaded any of those ROMs that are for sure out there in the internet. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to play that for the first time ever. On the um, SNS Classic Mini that will have the Star Fox 2 on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, I, I do. And, um, I also, I, I kinda count Sonic Mania into that kind of genre, even if it's not like a real retro game. It kinda is, but also it's a new game. But, um, yeah, I, I do enjoy um, these kind of games a lot. I mean, retro is getting so much blurred out nowadays. I mean, nowadays there's even retro PC gaming 
for example. Yeah, I think they overdid it a little bit, and then it peaked, and everyone thought that he could make millions out of that by just make giving it a pixel look and approach, and then that bubble did burst. Um, but hey, I mean, we still get a lot of of great content, so it I'm not. So I'm not complaining. Back in the day, because of the blurry. Yeah, I, I, sometimes, I sometimes feel, yeah, you're right, that it's uh, more pixelated these days than it was back in the days because you couldn't really see. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree. So I actually got a CRT screen in my living room because now I can play Super Mario Bros. 3 with all this failed graphics on the right side because of the overscan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. That actually does show up then, yeah. So Oops. like, wow, you know, because... Because on YouTube, you, you see games captures in a way you don't remember. Yeah. 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 I did. That's this thing when you, when you start um, searching for one of your favorite games from back in the days on YouTube, and then the next recommendation pops up, and all of a sudden it's 3 a.m., and you've been watching um, footage from games you played back in the days, and um, then you realize you're tired and you need to go. I'm really happy to realize that the PR guy for Sonic Mania really is connected to retro in a way. Oh yeah, I that's really probably know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's really it's crazy. probably my age though because I grew up with the Commodore 64 and um, like me. I mean yeah. that 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 definitely helps. But yeah, of course, it's um, that 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 retro feeling and the good memories and that childhood memories um it's something great and i was lucky enough to have a commodore 64 and then the amiga 500 and um so there's so much stuff connected to that um the the ex-boyfriend of my boss at sega um he was the guy who also like co-created shadow of the beast back in the days and wow. i had no idea and then i met him at the um, reflection studio visit for the second driver game wow. and then i figured out wait a second that is the guy who also did shadow of the beast and then instead um, of talking about Driver 2, what this whole press trip was about, we were just um, nerding um, about um, Shadow of the Beast and the limited edition that came with the T-shirt and the parallax scrolling and the difficulty level. And um, But um, he, he, I think he enjoyed it more than talking about uh, Driver 2. Yeah. Well, Shadow of the Beast is like, you can instantly die if you're unlucky. Oh, yeah. Um, I wasted so much time and I actually had to get the, um, I mean, you remember those trainer versions um, that came with a built-in cheat code. And uh, years later, I got that version and was finally able to finish the game. And um, man, that ending really sucked. Um, but still, I felt uh, relieved to, to be able to finish the game. I was actually one of those lucky guys that got a game genie for the NES. So I Ooh, but don't tell me you played Shadow of the Beast on the NES because that sucked graphically. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay, yeah. all right. But but I got one of those rare game genies for the Mega Drive because it was only released in certain European countries like France. Oh, okay. And then uh, yeah, um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. There was there. Uh, that also brings up the. The PAL version of the Turbo Express that only launched in France in very limited numbers, but it does exist. Or that front loader of the Mega CD, the PAL version that only launched in very limited numbers in the UK, I think. Um, yeah, there, there are a few good examples, but I think if we start um, talking about this now, then I'll never be able to eat my, my pizza. What am I going to do now? At yeah. least your schnitzel doesn't get cold. Yeah, not no, like it's, the, it's the pizza, but it's not a problem. I just reheat that now. All right. 
Alright. Ähm, dann gehe ich mal wieder zu Deutsch zurück, oder? Ja, kein Problem, ja. Jetzt, ja, ja genau. Ähm, Thanks ja, for your ähm, time. Danke. <lacht> Tschüss. So, um, so that was Fabian Mario Dola. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is Fabian Dola. Um, you can also check out Sega. That's www.sega.com. And Sonic Mania is also at www.sega.com slash games slash Sonic Mania. And we will put links to all these in the podcast description below. Um, I'm going to go try to find out where you're going. See you later.